Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, this is Chris Kawaj, author of How to Stash That Cash. If you want to learn how to connect with the absolute best, you should be, in fact, you must be listening to the Build Your Own Network podcast with my buddy, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Chris Kawaja. Chris holds his BA from Stanford University, an MBA with high distinction from Harvard Business School. He spent the early years of his career on Wall Street with Goldman Sachs and Bridgewater Associates, which is the world's largest hedge fund, where he develops his skeptical eye towards traditional financial advice. He developed his unique investing outlook for his own personal portfolio. And now he owns a variety of assets ranging from e-commerce businesses to legal settlements to real estate. He is the owner of the e-commerce business, bigchill.com, and the founder and author of upboarding.com, where he discusses topics ranging from mindfulness to crowdfunding. Guys, it's going to be an awesome conversation with Chris. This dude is all over the place, but whatever he does, he does it very well. And I'm extremely excited to get into a conversation with him. But first, really quickly, if you are a seven-figure entrepreneur and you know how much a podcast would benefit your brand, your business, how it would affect your relationships with your customers and build deeper trust with the people that give you business, 
business, whatever the reason may be, you know that podcasting would be good for you, but you just don't really know where to start or you don't have the time or the team or the resources to figure it out, then have me and my team do it for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. There's a quick application there and then we'll hop on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. Uh, that's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Chris, what's up, brother? Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, Travis. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Of course. Let's go ahead and uh, head back here to like origin story here, Chris, and talk about uh, how you got into doing what you're up to these days. So give us a quick rundown on what it was like to be 12-year-old Chris Kawaja. So 12-year-old Chris Kawaja was a bit of a dork. So <laughs> what was it like? Imagine, imagine a reasonably geeky kid in your class who had you know, some social skills, but not a ton, who maybe was on the math team. I did some sports, but I was a pretty geeky kid. And I had a really diverse array of interests. I mean, one nice thing about not priding yourself on how well-liked you are is you really do pursue the things that you like and not the things that are necessarily cool. Mm. So that's what I looked like at 12. And I've continued since then to always have a really wide array of passions. You can really plug me into anything. And if I'm curious about it, I'll become an expert real fast. And then I'll get bored with it just as fast. And coming to terms with that has been a pretty important part of my career and just my character building. But you know, back then I did everything from play on the baseball team to be on the math team to trying to date girls. And <laughs> I'm not trying to date girls because I'm married now, but you know, a lot of those, a lot of similar interests and a lot of interests that sprung from that have continued. Tell me how that high school experience was for you in terms of like from that perspective, from the perspective of being the kid who was just kind of like, yeah, I'll do this, I'll do that. You know what I mean? Like, was it difficult for you to fit in with that type of a, an outlook or was it easier for you to fit in because you were okay with connecting with people on a variety of different connection points? I think in a way it taught me to understand, and it was just one of the ways I learned to understand just the wide variety of people that are on this earth. One of them was just, you know, having different passions and seeing that the people who were super into the musical that I was in were very different from the people on the math team, right. who were very different from the people on. So I think it, it puts you in touch with a bunch of people and just you start to see other perspectives. And whether you're good at relating to that or not, and I wasn't as good back then, I've gotten better over time. It's just a way to understand the breadth of human experience. And obviously there are other ways to do that. Equally valuable, probably more valuable, was spending time in other countries, both by traveling and living there. Yeah, I and that. I think I think that's really what it's all about. And then ultimately, the more important thing was just understanding that it's in my nature to have these diverse experiences, and not trying to fight it by getting solely focused on one thing because I do get bored really quickly. And once I learned how to honor that in my life, it really has expressed itself well. It's sort of why I left Wall Street. It's why I'm invested in so many different asset classes. It's why today I own an e-commerce company. I have a real estate portfolio. I write a blog and I'm on the board of a nonprofit. I mean, it's, it sort of speaks to how I am today, but coming to terms with that was pretty important. Yeah, let's talk about travel for a second here, man, because, you know, obviously this show would probably be, I mean, it's in the entrepreneurship category, but it's probably in that self-help personal development category. Anybody that's trying to obviously make their lives better and improve the quality of their lives would probably be the people that are listening to this show. One thing that I think is often overlooked and completely underrated in that experience of making yourself a better, wiser, more thoughtful, whatever, you know, insert adjective here type of a person that you want to become 
I think travel is one of those things that kind of gets overlooked and, and kind of underrated. And I personally have, have traveled a lot. I've been to 30 plus countries at this point. And it, I'd point to that as one of the huge reasons for the muscle that I've been able to work out called empathy. That's one thing I think that allows me to connect with a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But also I think empathy is an important part of the sales process and negotiation. There's so many different things that come from that. Can you speak to your experience in travel and how that's helped you maybe have more different benefits in your career that you wouldn't have traced back? Had you not been more thoughtful and on purpose about that? Yeah, and so much of it just happened upon me, and I've realized it as I've looked in the rearview mirrors. I'm sure you have. Sure. I think you've hit the nail on the head with empathy. That's obviously a huge benefit. But there's a second piece, and your show's called Build Your Network, and I think it's a really important piece of building your network. It just makes you very curious about other people. Yeah. Once you see the diversity of experiences out there, and that a Buddhist monk may be extremely happy, and you meet somebody. I remember meeting a waitress in Bali who was absolutely thrilled with her life. And I remember calculating she earned, you know, it was literally 20 to 30 cents an hour. And she just loved her job and she was happy. And she, so I just think seeing and meeting these people with such different perspectives and different cultural approaches, you know, Japan and some of these Asian cultures that are more collectivist, it gets you curious. And curiosity to me is just a huge foundation of networking because networking is ultimately about learning about people and connecting people, including yourself to those people, but also connecting other people who may be beneficial to each other. And you won't find out about other people unless you're curious. Genuine curiosity about people. That one thing, if you can take that into all your networking situations, will improve it drastically. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. One of the other things too that, that it really helped me with was 
perspective, being able to see the world from somebody else's lenses. That was huge for me because obviously growing up as a white kid in America, you you don't have the full experience of what everybody else might be experiencing in this country until you go to a different country where there's not a bunch of other people that look like you that are walking around and you start to realize really quickly, like when you can't speak the language and people are looking at you weird and all you're trying to do is like find where I can get a drink or use the restroom or something like, and you have to go figure that out. And you start to just really gain empathy for the people that are in your own country and in your own backyard that maybe before you would have been like, ah, you know, like uh, I'm sick of you know dealing with this particular type of person or whatever. And then you travel a little bit and you're put in that person's shoes and you're like, ah, actually, you know, maybe they're just doing the best with what they have here. And uh, the main currency to be traded with anybody would just be kindness rather than anything else, you know? Of course. And that's in my life mission statement. It's one of the four words in my life mission statement. So I couldn't agree more. And also just learning the general rule. Part of it is seeing other people's perspective, but part of it is learning a rule which really escapes people. Just never be so sure that you know the right way to do things. There are just so many ways to do things. And you can learn about that by traveling and really being in the culture. You know, it's one thing to stay at an American hotel in uh, (laughs) Cambodia. It's another thing to actually be on a backpack, get on a guy's motorbike, go to somebody's home, you know, like, right. so I think doing it a certain way can be very helpful. It's a lot harder for me to do that now because I've got young kids and sure. all sorts of reasons. Uh, but I think having that kind of experience can be helpful. And honestly, you can get that other ways. My wife is incredibly good at connecting to a wide range of people. She never traveled as much, but she just has it in her personality to be super empathetic. So I wouldn't call it mandatory, but I'd call yeah. it a super helpful thing if it helps you discover those traits and elements of a good life. Yeah, and I love that distinction as well because you know a lot of that is based on your personality for sure and those are different tools that might be able to help you be a little bit more open to the entire you know, breadth of the human experience. So, okay, so moving on a little bit further now into college. So you go to Stanford out of high school. Clearly, academics was something that was fairly important to you in high school in order to be able to get into Stanford in the first place. So talk to me about your experience with your bachelor's degree and then the decision to pursue your master's at Harvard? So it's funny. I went into Stanford and they ask you on your form what you think you want to major in. And I said, psychology and economic. And then when I got there, I looked at a million different other majors, ended up taking courses in 13 departments, speaking to the breadth of interest, (laughs) but ended up getting a major in economics and a minor in psychology because ultimately both are studies of human behavior. Mm -hmm. Economics just starts with the principle that everybody makes rational decisions and psychology starts with the principle that there are a lot of other reasons other than rationality that people make decisions. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. and that's just influenced everything I've done since then. It's really influenced my perspective on investing, et cetera. But after that I went and worked on Wall Street for a couple of years. I also worked at a startup called Align Technology. They're obviously not a startup anymore. I think they're probably worth fifty billion dollars or more. They make these clear retainers that straighten your teeth called Invisalign. But I joined yeah. them when they were just a little startup. So that helped pay for business school. And at business school, you know, a lot of people go there. It's funny you talk about networking. It's obviously a great place to network, but it's a network I haven't used that much other than one or two exceptions. After Harvard, I worked at Bridgewater with a gentleman named Ray Dalio, who's gotten a lot of fame now because of his book, Principles. Mm -hmm. Wonderful teacher, brilliant person, a lot to learn there. 
and then ultimately have settled on owning a bunch of businesses with a group of partners. And it's been incredibly successful and, you know, provides me a lot of flexibility, a lot of income and that sort of stuff. And therefore I'm able to pursue these other passions. So it's worked out very well for me. Yeah. Talk to me about your time on Wall Street. What are some of the big lessons and takeaways that you got from there? When was it that you realized that this wasn't going to be the path for you the rest of your life? And and how did that translate into your day-to-day actions? There was a lot more going on when I left Wall Street than just an analysis of what the job was about. I was self-aware enough to look around and see the people who were thriving in the career path that I was on. I would just look at who's senior and I'd simply ask myself, is this the kind of life I want? Mm. Is this really the end game for me? And it was very clear that it wasn't. Yeah. And that was combined with, at the time, a relationship where I was dating somebody who it was getting pretty serious and we were really at this, you know, marriage, no marriage point. And I started envisioning a life in Westport, Connecticut, and it just didn't fit me. So in the course of about 24 hours, I broke my lease, broke up with my girlfriend, hopped on a plane, moved to San Francisco. You know, I just called a place to pick up my car. And a couple months later, I was doing entrepreneurial stuff in San Francisco. So it happened really fast. And I think like a lot of things like that, when it just resonates, it just resonated through every element of my life. And I just hit a hard reset. And the good news was I went into the unknown, but it's worked out great. I mean, I can't imagine it working out any better than it's done so far. So yeah. Yeah. Knock what, on wood. What, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Find, find some wood, knock on it real quick for sure. What were some of the lessons that you took away from Bridgewater and being able to work with somebody like Ray Dalio? Ray's a brilliant guy. And I think the number one thing about Ray, and I don't know if this comes across in his writings, but he is a relentless, relentless learner. And he has so many structures and behaviors and traits in his life that maximize his ability to learn. Hmm. And I think the most important one is around your ego, but he's just built his whole life around that. So he's somebody who is constantly improving. He has all the elements of somebody who learns well. He's self-reflective. And the second thing he has, which I think is the biggest item, is he's able to suffer the ego pain when he's wrong. Hmm. The biggest hindrance, I think, in life is that people think you always need to be right. And so the thing I'm always trying to teach my kids, the biggest lesson I say to guys, how often is dad wrong? And I just tell them every single day. But I Hmm. use it to learn. I really do. So I just say, you know, in my company, of the 10 best ideas every year, I want to have five of them. And of the 10 worst ideas, I want to have five of them. Because it's all about generating ideas, being wrong, listening to feedback, feeling bad when you screw up, but being okay with it. And so... I think that Ray just really epitomizes those traits. And I think that's, for me, the biggest lesson I took from him is really being honest with yourself and letting other people be honest with you and being able to take that ego head and learn from it. How do you do that on a practical basis? Like, is there a reflection time that you set up in your calendar? Like, what do you do specifically to try to reflect on some of the things that you thought maybe was a good idea, but then turned out it wasn't a good idea? It's not even one tool. I would just say it's so embedded into every process in my businesses and my real estate. Hmm. And the first very obvious one is have a review of decisions. Okay. (laughs) So you make a decision, stuff happens, actually put on your calendar. Let's review how this happened and what went wrong and what went right. The only difficult thing with a review is sometimes you get bad results from good decisions. So that's an important distinction to make. Sometimes things just didn't break your way or you took a bet on something. For example, say you happened to invest in a factory in Wuhan, you know, a month before the virus hit. That may still have been a good decision. And yes, you have to change it now. But it's important to understand that 
in that case, there was an exogenous circumstance that really impacted it. So number sure. one is have a review and distinguish what actually caused what's, what's good and bad. And the other is various versions of self-reflection. Obviously, daily meditation. I've been a meditator for 27 years, and it's tremendously helpful. But I think larger periods of reflection, and the I'm on the board of the Heroes Journey Foundation, and they offer these one-week programs where you really go away leave home, deeply reflect with a group of people. I think that kind of structured, very deep reflection mm. can be especially helpful if you're at a pivotal point in your life, let's say, trying to find out what your next career step is. So I think it's a combination of things, but those would be three that come to mind quickly. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I want to move the conversation along a little bit to talk about networking relationships. This is obviously Build Your Network. We talk a lot about those types of things. You've been somebody whose career has been fueled by knowledge as well as connections. And so I'm curious to hear your feedback on this question specifically. Uh, Chris, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? That's a wonderful phrase and it's very catchy. And when people take a stand on it, it feels like you understand where they're coming from. But my experience is that one leads to the other, leads to the other. And I'll just hmm. give you an example. Okay, so I read an article that a certain lab in San Francisco was short of COVID testing supplies, particularly nasal swabs. Okay, the article was by Michael Lewis, the guy who's written Blindside and a bunch of... Okay. So I read this article and I see that a guy is missing these swabs. And I remembered that I knew somebody who knew him. So I reached out to him and said, hey, I can help you get the swabs. I have this expertise, this knowledge, what I know, that I developed from being in this business years ago that constantly had shortages and I'd have to source things globally that were really hard to source. I actually built up an entire team of six people. That's all they do is find hard to find items. So I called him, I helped him out. Now, keep pushing that forward. He ended up introducing me to Michael Lewis, who wrote a follow-up article, and then Michael Lewis wrote about me. So now Michael Lewis is quotes in my network. I didn't plan to do that. Michael Lewis is who I know because of what I know, right? right and then right. it tends to keep going from, from there. You know, I'm friendly with a famous NBA player, and I was introduced to him because he heard that I knew a lot about different types of real estate investing, and he was trying to find a better way to get access to real estate. So I chatted with him, he, he actually had found out about me because he knew about my expertise, what I knew. Mm-hmm. And then I went out with him. We you know, grabbed lunch, all this kind of stuff. And from that, I learned a lot about what it's like to be a famous person and how to treat famous people. So we chatted a lot about that. And I'm like, so that's something new that I know mm-hmm. when I interact with somebody famous. So it tends to be this fluid continuum. And so I really try to respect that you have to have what you know, and it also has to lead you to who you know. And in the end, you just have to be really always in a giving place. Because if you're in that place where you're willing to share your knowledge and willing to give, I think that who you know comes automatically. Yeah, that's such a great example of how those two things work hand in hand. And that is always always my experience as well, is that they complement each other. And it's like a self-fulfilling loop almost that continues to expand and grow and build on one another. So I appreciate the anecdote there. Yeah. And you're, um, you, and you're, you're known for your podcast now. You know, next time I know someone is trying to build a podcast, who's a small business person. Right. You've stamped that brand into my mind. Yeah, I right. know yeah, yeah. probably several people who want to do that and I'll introduce them. Yeah. And that's how a network's built. I'm not going to do it to get money or any other benefit, but that's how a network is built. Yeah, that top of mind awareness for the thing that you know better than most people know. Right? Exactly. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, talk to me then a little bit about some practical things that people can implement into their lives that might set them up for success when it comes to relationship building and networking. Things that would allow them to maybe have those opportunities where they may not have had them before. You know, stuff like this, like podcasting or blogging or writing articles or being an avid learner. What, what are some things that you've done to consistently put yourself in opportunities to connect with high quality people? One thing I've found, and this may not be the most common advice you hear, but I've found it's really helpful to have people you're close with, very close with, very close friends, which in a way can feel like the opposite of networking. Networking is really knowing a ton of people and having close friends is this small group. But if those close friends, treat their network as your own, I find the multiplication ability of that is just tremendous. And so when I look at how my network has grown, it's not grown because I'm some hypersocial person, as I spoke about earlier. It's grown because a bunch of people around me know that I have expertise in whatever area it is, you know, be it my book, be it real estate investing, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And so they automatically introduce me to people. And then I follow up and I do help those. So I'd say that's a real practical tip is try to have other people's network be your own. And the way you do that is you treat your network like theirs, right? Yeah. Like you just have it so that you are so amply sharing and helping and supporting each other at all times that it's almost like your networks are seamless extensions of each other. And mm -hmm. so that has been a huge benefit to me because it just so happens that some people close to me are amazing networkers, right? Yeah, and so right. I don't have to be one, but they trust me a lot and I've been super helpful to them. And so it's almost this second derivative thing. And I think that to me is a really practical thing. And then second, and this is just a small thing, people are always trying to you know, say, hey, let me buy you coffee, all these sorts of things. And this feels obvious, but I can't hammer home the point enough. If you're going to reach out to someone, find a way to be useful to them. Hmm. Don't just say, let me buy you coffee. A coffee yes. is not useful to most people, okay? You have to have something you're doing that adds value. It could even be as simple as, you know, I had a guy who wanted some advice from me and he wanted to send me some really cool hot dogs. <laughs> They were like some rare to find. I was like, great, you know, yeah, and right. maybe a gift is too, maybe a gift is too kind of shallow of a, yeah, it's maybe of disingenuous, an sure. but he did it in a real cool. He's just like, Hey, you know, I love your help. I loved, you know, I loved your book. You know, I want to take your online course, all this sort of stuff. And he's like, Hey, and by the way, like, I'd love if you could help me with this simple question. And by the way, after that question, he asked a couple more questions and I was very happy to help him. So yeah, it doesn't right. need to be huge, but something on offer and you got to, and so that's partly knowing the person you're trying to network with. How can you add value exactly. to them? How can you add value to them? Yeah, you have to be the one to do that too, because you can't do the thing where you go to somebody that you want to connect with and say, How can I add value to you? Because then you just oh, gave them a yeah, homework assignment. Get a response. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And I, yeah, take it from someone who gets a ton of messages for people looking for help. And I'm sure this is most of the people on your show. Yeah. Like the number of emails, messages, people trying to reach out to me, Hey, can I pick your brain? I mean, it's constant. Right. And so I just say no to a yeah. ton of people. It's and I impossible. look back to who It'd I impossible. Yes to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would fill my whole day with it. And so, you know, first of all, I have good strategies for avoiding people. <laughs> who <laughs> when I but second is, you know, I'm very choosy about it. And I'm not choosy in the way like, will you add value? But they need to be someone I'm sort of curious about. Or they need, we need to be like engaged in something that's sort of curious and interesting. Because sure. I'm not looking for more money. I'm not, you know, these aren't things that are priorities to me. And so... You know, if you know me, I just want to kind of meet and be around really cool people like Travis, right. you know, yeah, like that right. makes my life more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's been my experience as well is that you have to give people a reason to connect with you when they have 
when there's no shortage of people that are wanting to connect with them, you have to have some form of a differentiator, which you know could be something like what you're saying. For me, that's been having a podcast. Hosting a podcast has been the perfect excuse for me, which is why I'm so big on having other people start shows because I've experienced the power firsthand of having a perfect value-adding excuse to have a conversation with somebody that interests me via a podcast. But maybe it's just a simple like, hey, I, I just want you know, a book or a resource on this one thing. And then if they actually respond, you know, go and read the book and consume the resource and, and write a one pager or a summary and show them that you are actually going to do something with the thing that they told you. Because the thing that all busy people have in common is that they don't want to waste time. And I'm sure that's something that you would agree with as well, Chris, is that you want to know that if you're going to take the time to respond to somebody's questions that it's actually going to do something because 80% of the people who reach out will never do anything with the stuff that you tell them and they're just going to 99% take yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better stat Let's be yeah. the 99 I also just think having a bias towards doing things for other people look I've had so many circumstances in my life where I've just done favors for people or connected people yeah. or introduced them to people who ended up investing in their fund or whatever it is. And I didn't do it necessarily because I wanted to get to know or network into that person. But by doing all that stuff repeatedly and just having a bias for doing favors, when I actually need something done or I need a favor, I reach out to people. I have so many angels supporting me because mm, I just have so this true. karma built up. You also have to be careful not to be transactional about it because people can smell transactionalitis 100%. like bad VO. Like as soon as someone's like, I'd like to connect with you, or I had someone email me, they're like, I'd like to expand my network. Like, no. You know what I mean? <laughs> like hard no and blocking your email. Yeah, and you're just gonna like, you're just gonna pitch me after I say sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, trust me, time is really valuable for busy people like Travis exactly. and busy people like Chris. Like they, the fact that they even read your email, like, that's an unlikely, right? You yeah. even have to have a cool subject. Not to sound like I'm some super busy guy, but I, because I actually think I'm less busy than a lot of people, but my tolerance for BS is very low, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you have, um, it's not just like you're running business and, and, and giving people advice all day. You have, a, you have a family and you have other poles of life and you still want to enjoy life and do all these... That people have this misunderstanding that because you don't get back to them that you're just you know an a-hole or something. And it's just like, no, it's just that it would be impossible for me to connect with everybody. So it's up to you to take some responsibility for yourself and for your own actions enough to say, hey, how can I be that differentiator? How can I come to the table with something that's going to actually pique this person's interest, which requires you to do a little bit more work? That's what's going to allow you to make that difference with people rather than just being another person that gets lost in the sea of somebody's messy inbox, you know? Yeah. I mean, we all hate email now, so that's just a tough way to get introduced. I mean, it is what it is. But <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Coming down to the end of our conversation here, but I want to get your advice on real estate right now. Uh, that's something I've always been interested in. I've, I've had a lot of real estate people on the show. I've been on Bigger Pockets and a few other big real estate podcasts myself. And it's always something that is a topic of interest to me. What are you seeing in terms of real estate trends and buying and selling and fear and all that kind of stuff with Corona and COVID and everything, the crazy, crazy year that 2020 has been so far. How are you seeing that affect the real estate industry and what should people look out for? It's a good question and one I've spent a lot of time reflecting on. In general, I think real estate is a great asset to protect against overloving stockitis, which is what most people suffer from. Everyone thinks that stocks are the end all be all, and they're not, and they have a lot of problems. So, in general, I'm a fan of real estate as an asset. And I think what's happened is 
I like to view this as a change accelerator. There were a bunch of changes that were in the works that have been massively accelerated. So people are already starting to work from home. They're starting to work from home at a massive clip. How much of that stays? I think at least some of it will. Okay, for sure. So that's an example. The move to online retail, right? It's been moving at a pace and now it's, it's moved at an even faster pace. You know, everybody's buying everything online because they couldn't leave their houses. And so it's been a huge accelerator for that. And so whatever trend it was that you were seeing, home fitness, you know, you name it, I think there's an accelerating trend. And so if you have what I would call a counter trend asset, and that might be like a retail strip mall, yeah, that's something that is probably quite a bit less attractive now, just because the future, which was already pretty bleak for strip malls, has gotten even more. Sure. Um, and I think we're seeing some of this play out in the marketplace. There's some internet retail resistant companies like Dollar General, and I noticed that their cap rates have compressed significantly, right? So I think it's always a good time to be looking at real estate. I think what shifts is the financing environment. So banks really won't touch basic retail anymore. And then what also shifts is the percentage of deals that are attractive. And going into this, we were in a place where I would say one in a thousand deals were attractive. Hmm. We're down to maybe one in 500, but I can just see given the pressure in the system that that's going to go back up to a nice kind of one in a hundred rate, which sounds really low, but is actually fantastic because I can screen a hundred deals in you know, 20 minutes, right? So I was, was going to say, is this, is this for a specific type of real estate that you're talking about in terms of one in a hundred, one in 500 or whatever? Is this like multifamily residential or is it single family? What, what exactly are you referring to? Or is it just kind of everything? I've tried and failed at residential real estate, not failed financially, but failed in terms of it being something that I don't want to have anything to do with. Got but it. I, so I tend to do commercial. I happen to think right now that the opportunities are in residential and it's in this trend. I mean, we talked about trends. This is one that wasn't accelerated, but maybe perhaps reversed. Look, I think an urban center like New York is just slightly less attractive now, right? Mm, and yeah, so all these sure. condos that were built, I think we should at least take a second look at that. And this isn't about go sell a condo in New York necessarily, because you may have very good reasons for owning that or one in San Francisco or Dallas or what have you. But obviously, we're going to have a move to more of a suburban lifestyle. I think people have realized you know, that their home is their palace. And that trend is being seen everywhere just in terms of even, you know, sales of home goods are actually holding up very well. So I think you're going to see a lot of new home construction and, you know, whether unemployment rate is 15% or 5%, I think you're going to see this big move. I'm hearing of stories of suburbs in New York with 30 bids, 28 of them from Manhattanites looking to leave. So I do like residential. Commercial, I think there are some pockets like industrial and things like that, but it's a little, it's a little more treacherous. And so it's really yeah. about biding your time and waiting for deals, which are coming more fast and more furious by, with every passing week. Yeah. Where do you see that going in like, you know, the next six to 12 months? Once loan forbearance is done and over with and people are still unemployed and not being able to pay mortgages, like it, it, is, do you think there's going to be a large influx of foreclosures and things that was happened back in, you know, 2008, 2009 as well? Or do you think we're going to see a recovery with some of the stimulus things that are going on? It's a really hard question in part because I haven't spent as much time reflecting on it because I don't really invest in residential real estate. Maybe to a certain extent, I'll invest in land that becomes residential real estate. But where do I see things going? I'll tell you one thing, we're definitely going to be surprised because whatever the narrative is, we're always wrong, whether it's in stock market or real estate. Hmm. So I can count on us being surprised. And I also think, look, great assets will probably continue to be great assets. I think what's going to change is that you're going to have a greater portion of, I don't want to call them desperate sellers, because I think banks will work with people. 
I would just say sellers who are just sick of it. You know, somebody who was close for retirement, they just, they're sick of the lurching back and forward, or maybe they need the money because they lost money in the stock market. But you'll have more people who are selling because they're just done with it. Mm. And that's usually a good time to buy because if you're willing to enter at that time, you know, usually there's more stuff on sale and more stuff on sale means more supply means lower prices. And if you're getting a golden asset, and that could be something like, you know, a wonderful suburban district, you know, great school district near where you live that things only keep improving and it's got beautiful parks, whatever it is, the kind of thing you think people want, those kinds of things I think will be gold-plated investments for the foreseeable future because they always have been, you know, it's, sure. it's been a great idea to invest in high in San Francisco real estate since pretty much forever. Right. And it will continue to be. Well, Chris, this has been such an enlightening, awesome conversation. I appreciate you for coming on the show. Before we sign off here, can you tell us a little bit about your book, where we can find it and then how we can connect with you best online? So my book is just the epitome of questioning the status quo. And this is as it relates to emergency funds, something that everybody should have. And what's happened is you have this, these dynamics in the financial services industry, no commissions, ETFs, and items like that, that have really changed how we should invest in emergency fund and the advice hasn't caught up. So this is my big attempt to catch it up. It's called the ultimate liquidity portfolio. The book is called how to stash that cash, the ultimate liquidity portfolio. You can find it through upwarding.com, which is my blog or how to stash that cash. I recommend taking my online course. You got a lot more detail on that, but really you can just read the blog post about the 8812 ultimate liquidity portfolio. It's 88% bonds, 12% stocks. It's certain types of bonds and certain types of stocks. But even if you just read the blog post, that's more than most people do. And I think it's a really important way to understand how the financial industry has changed and why high yield savings accounts that are so heralded and advertised are just really a bad place for most people to put their money. Perfect. And then where can we connect with you personally and consume more of the things that you're putting out? It's funny because there are really two places. One is through upwarding.com, you can send me a message. And I do read every message that comes through that even when the volume is very high. So I promise I will read your message. I don't promise you'll get some kind of timely response, but I will get it. Okay. So that's, <laughs> so you can send me a message to upwarding.com. The place where I actually find I'm there just because it's a cool place to hang out is the Slack channels for Rad Reads. Rad Reads is run by a guy named K-Hi, K-H-E-H-Y. He's been called the Oprah for millennials and he's set up, he's a real community builder. He set up these chat rooms and I just love them. It's just a really cool group of people who are doing all kinds of cool things. I mean, maybe they're getting launching their own podcast or maybe they're starting a newsletter or starting a business or learning how to invest or trying to practice mindfulness. You know, there's just a really cool group of people. You can kind of pick your channel and it's, it becomes like a little micro community online. So that's a place where people get responses from me all the time because I just love it. So that's kind of a random place, but I, I love that as well. Awesome. Guys, I, again, I, I, I know I say this all the time, but if you are listening to the show and you are not constantly reaching out to the people who literally give you the exact way to get in touch with them, then you're missing the point of this whole build your network thing. So take advantage of the opportunity that Chris just gave you to reach out to him. Go check out some of the stuff that he does over on upwarding.com. That's U-P-W-A-R. D-I-N-G, Upwarding.com. And then you can also find a copy of his book over there. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today, brother. Really had a fantastic time chatting with you and learning from you. Travis, it's a blast. Thanks for everything you're doing for the community. I love your show. Well, that's it for today's show. 
If you want more advanced networking strategies as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.